So I turn it on or off? Just kidding. Sorry. Did I have it on that whole time before? Oops. Hi, everybody. So nice to see this amazing, beautiful room of women. It's like an estrogen festival. Um, so, my name is Laura Sandretti. Um, when I have the privilege of getting to um, speak at estrogen festivals, usually they want to know a little bit about me. But I am a, I am a woman of efficiency, and I also used to be a, a high school teacher. And so, in the name of efficiency and uh, poetry, I've written a little poem to introduce myself. So I'm going to share that with you tonight. This is called The History of... Me. When I was a baby, my dad called me Pudge. I like to eat candy, oatmeal, and fudge. <laughs> my mother is from Japan, so short and so small. Wait for it. There she is. My dad's a big white guy, so thin and so tall. <laughs> this was their wedding day in Japan. And aren't they cute? They, but wait, there's more. They met in the Air Force when young and naive. They got married, and to America soon they did leave. This was literally the day my mother left her mother. Um, they moved to Menominee in the cold and the snow. Mom said, if I had money, back to Japan I would go. <laughs> she really did, true story. They raised three kids, my two brothers and me. Um, you can't really see it in this picture, but I just really think that the fine people at the JCPenney studio could have tucked my pocket liner in. <laughs> I didn't really have a lot aesthetically going for me at the time, so. Except for that rainbow lapel pin. I don't know if you can see that, but that was pretty amazing, yeah. Okay, back to the poem. <laughs> they, they raised three kids, my, three, my two brothers and me. I loved volleyball, school, and rock in the 80s. Where are my big hair friends? Thank you. You know how they say you start to look like your dog or your dog starts to look like you? I don't know why some of you are laughing at that. That literally was my best picture from the 80s. <laughs> we all had, I know, waiting for it to come back. Um, if the humidity continues, it will be coming back. <laughs> so just... Um, in 1987, my husband did I meet. We worked at McDonald's, and boy, was he sweet. <laughs> we wed in 92, survived college and work. Then one day, we got an idea, so berserk. Let's have a baby, then two, then three. Oh, I know they used to be so cute. <laughs> and just when they all learned in the potty to pee, he's not mine, but I thought he looked close enough. <laughs> None of them were willing to let me show everyone their potty picture, so. 
Okay. I know, he's so cute. Okay, and just when they all learned in the potty to pee, we made the mistake of having number four, a little black dog who soils my floor. I've been a teacher, a waitress. I've taxied airplanes, true story. I'm afraid of heights, flying, and most everything. There's much more to tell, but the show must go on. That is all from this Asian hillbilly from northern Wisconsin. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm sorry, can you put that picture back up? I realized last uh, weekend I, I wasn't very good about telling people about my family, um, which I guess is frowned upon when you're a mother. Okay, so this is my family. Um, my husband, Chris, and I have been married for 30 years in June, and um, yeah, Woo. go McDonald's. <laughs> um, we used to call it as the Burger Burns. That was the little, like, you know, the little uh, McDonald's romances. Um, so these are our three kids. My oldest daughter uh, is in the black. Her name is Hannah. She is a um, teaching assistant at a Montessori school in Milwaukee, and. Um, I like to give like a little bit of dirt because it's like, oh, look at my perfect family. They're not. So <laughs> I like to give a little bit of dirt on each child. So Hannah is my child who is waiting for a man. She's 24. She's waiting for a man who has like Jesus tattooed on his forehead, which is awesome. But I would like to have grandchildren <laughs> like soon. <laughs> Like before, you know, like while I'm still able-bodied. <laughs> and so my husband and I were talking to her about that. And my husband said something to the effect of, you know, when your mom and I met, I, you know, I, I wasn't really like, I didn't have this like deep grounded faith. And she goes, ah, dad, that's missionary dating and I'll have none of it. <laughs> so she's still really single. Okay, and then my son is next, he's 22, he, um, he is a senior uh, at Carroll University in Waukesha, and he is, I don't know, there's just, you know, there's something about dads and their daughters, there's something about moms and their boys, like this kid since he was born, right here, he's got me right here. Um, but Casey was born with the spiritual gift of correcting people. And when he was like, I, he was like really little. I don't know how old he was, but he was little. And I was like, good night, buddy, sleep good. And he goes, well, sleep well. <laughs> Shut up and go to bed. Okay. <laughs> and then lastly, do any of you who are parents, do any of you have a child in the home that everyone else is slightly, just slightly afraid of? <laughs> yes. This is my daughter, Faith. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's actually really nice now, but there was a time for about 18 years where <laughs> you didn't want to cross her path. Um, she, uh, she is a junior at Purdue studying math, which I, what? <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, so, that's my family. Thanks for, thanks for leaving that up. Okay, so tonight we are going to talk about... Um, believing deeper. So you guys have your outlines um, or your booklets in front of you. So um, if you want to turn to that, we're going to be um, in John 4. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about how, how do we 
because God in his love always has more for us. He always has more love. He always has more grace. He always has more, um, he always has deeper for us. And, and so how do we step into believing deeper? That's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Okay, I just have to put this on the floor or something's going to fall. Um, one of the things that I... Um, talk about in my, I just finished my third book in um, August, and it's called Believe Deeper, and it's about um, a discipleship journey that I um, took recently, a, a class kind of that I was in. Um, and what I learned in that and through other things over the last several years um, is that there's this difference between um, what I like to call and what I've heard called uh, abstract and core beliefs. So we have, we have beliefs that, are, um, that we think are solid, that we believe strongly and firmly, and, and that many of them are great things, right? Things that we believe about the Lord, things that we believe about the Bible. Um, but what I've learned is many of those beliefs are just abstractions, they're just things I, I mentally agree with, but they're not things that have moved down into, into my core. They haven't moved down into my soul. They haven't moved to a place where they're starting to impact how I live and my relationships and how I speak. And there's a difference between those two things. We read about this in Mark 9, right, with the father who brings his um, demon-possessed son to Jesus, and he says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And so God in his love always has more. He always wants to be moving those abstractions that we have, those obscure beliefs, right, into a place where they're core beliefs, where they're operational. He wants to move our beliefs from here down. Abstract beliefs are theoretical, but a core belief, are, are, they're tangible. They're ones that, again, we're, we're functioning out of them. And... One of the reasons at my little, my little table um, I have jewelry that has waves on it is because what my book talks about is that most of um, our, our abstract beliefs, we don't even realize. They're like under the waterline of awareness. We don't even realize that they're abstract beliefs about the Lord, abstract beliefs about the cross, abstract beliefs about the Bible. My daughter for some dumb reason last spring, asked if she could take her car to Purdue this year. And of course, I said yes. And as it got close, as the school year started getting closer, I was like, why did I say that? I don't know. I know there's some of you, of my friends here who are from Chicago. As you go down through along 294, you pass O'Hare and you start to curve a little bit um, to the east, there's what I like to call the quarry curve of death. Any of my Chicago friends know about this? <laughs> I mean, it's so scary, and there's like 8,000 lanes of traffic, and you're trying to not go over the edge. And then if you survive that, the next little special spot you run into is Gary, Indiana. <laughs> it's not really where you want your 19-year-old daughter driving her little car. And if you live through that, then you get to head south onto I-65 into the cornfields of Indiana, where every semi in the country is driving on that stretch of freeway. But if you ask me, clearly I, I teach God's word. I know God's word. I love God's word. It says in Romans that God works out all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It was just graduation season. We all know Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has bright plans not to harm you, not to, not to let you go over the quarry death. 
thing, right? Like I know these things up here. I know that, that, that you know, perfect love should cast out fear, but in my real and actual life, what I was doing was stressing about my daughter driving her car to Indiana. Like every time we get in the car, it was like a, you know, it's like a 16-year-old driving lesson. I'm like, okay, now that guy over there, assume he's gonna do something stupid. And that guy over there, he's probably also gonna do it. And she's like, mom, I've been driving for four years. I don't care, listen, right? And, and just nagging my husband about the maintenance on the car and asking Faith this and, and just on and on. And so the difference between my abstract and my core beliefs start to show themselves in my actual life. And that's, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but that's not a bad thing. That's something we want to learn to pay attention to because what that is, is God's grace. And it's God saying, showing us and inviting us to more and inviting us to deeper. So we're going to read um, John 4. 4 through 26, if you um, have your Bibles. But before we read any texts this weekend, any passages of Scripture, we're going to do what a wise mentor friend of mine taught me. Um, I, I've, I really always struggled to read the Bible. Um, praying was okay. That, that I didn't really have a hard time with that, but I um, always kind of struggled with trying to understand the Bible. Um, I read it because... I looked around, and that's what the other good churchy girls were doing, so I thought I should do it. But I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to read my Bible. I just, it was just something I thought I should do. And I remember telling a mentor friend of mine this one day, and she said, have you ever just prayed and asked God, like, what do you have for me in this? Can you just show me one thing that you have for me? And I think that's such great advice. And so that's something that we're going to practice all weekend, and I just really want to encourage you to practice um, before you read his word. Because the, you know, the reality is, I remember once we were gonna go cross-country skiing. So I grew up in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, just a little ways over that way. Yeah, oh, someone knows where Rice, what? Come and talk to me later. <laughs> the metropolis of Rice Lake. Okay, so I grew up in Rice Lake. Um, and and we, were, we were there. We've, we've had a place up there for many, many years because my parents still live there, my family still lives there. And so we were gonna go cross-country skiing. And so we were going to go to this new ski spot, but we were late and we had things we had to do after. And so we had to hurry. And so I told my husband in a very Jesus-y way, we, why are you driving so slow? <laughs> what is the whole, like, go, go, go. And he's like, I have to put the directions into the Google. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, well, just, just start driving. <laughs> like, and I, I think back to that and it was really kind of, Absurd. Like I wanted him to start driving even though we didn't know where we were going. And I think so many of us do this when we read God's word without asking him first to give us some direction, to stir the spirit in us, to hear in a little different way. Because I can always find something interesting in here. But the spirit's living and active in us and he wants us to hear something that is probably deeper and better. So before we read this, we're going to we're going to do just that. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, you have more for us, that you have deeper belief, that you, you want us to know your love more deeply, your peace more deeply, God. And so we just pray before we read this text, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes, help us take a deep breath. Some of us are still coming off the tails of trying to get out of the house. 
And help us to just hear one thing from you, God, that you have just for me, that you have just for Bobby, that you have just for Barbara, that you have just for each woman in this room, God. Thank you that you are intimate and personal and want to meet us in that way. And we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So John 4, uh, 4 through 26. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. What do we, what do we take from this? What can we glean from this about how to believe deeper? So there's three points in your outline. The first one is know what you know. Know what you know. Um, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? This woman knew a lot of things about religion. She knew a lot of things about faith, right? She knew that Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritan women because Samaritans were unclean, according to the Jews. She says in verse 7 that she knew and she respected the patriarch Jacob. In verse 19, she says she knew what um, Samaritans believed and how that was different from the Jews, right? She, she knew a lot of things. And she also said in verse 25 that she knew the Messiah was coming. And so she knew many facts about Jesus. She knew many facts about um, being a Jew and being a Samaritan. And she knew a lot of facts about culture and custom. But until this time, she didn't know Jesus. 
is there anyone, I need a volunteer. And I know, this is kind, it's kind of scary. There are a lot of you here. I was a little overwhelmed at dinner. I'm kind of like, Hannah, there's so many people here. She's like, no, they just kept registering. So anyway, I want to give one of you a book, but I need a volunteer. But here's the, here's the trick. I need someone who has never eaten seaweed before to come up who's, oh, two people raised their hand. I, I'm like blinded by the lights, so just some, one of you stand up and make your way up, and whoever stands up first wins, but no tackling. Okay, you did it, you, good job, come on up here. Oh my gosh, you're so brave. Okay, so my husband is in the food industry, so this is a very sanitary experiment, I'll have you know. This is not, it still has the safety seal on it. Look, I am gonna make you eat it. Oh, do you wanna change your mind? Oh. <laughs> Just a little bit. You, it's to, you're, you're in control. Uh, you control the spoon. Look at this is brand new. I just bought this at Trader Joe's. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about this because I grew up eating seaweed. And what it says is that there's 25 calories in here. What's your name? Lana. Lana. All right, there's 25 calories in here, Lana. And, and I looked up what, because you know, when you've always eaten something, you don't really like think about the taste, but what, what according to food specialists, um, seaweed, its taste is best described as the taste of the ocean. <laughs> it's a balance of intense saltiness, subtle sweetness, and a hint of bitter. What'd you say? No chocolate. no chocolate. No, no. It's and so the ingredients are white sesame seeds, black sesame seeds, and then nori, which is black sea, um, seaweed, and then salt. And then if that's not enough for you, Lana, there's also some kelp powder in here. Okay, so we're gonna we're we're gonna let you taste. Okay, so you know about the seaweed, right? Now I want you to to taste the seaweed. This is so exciting. I have a mint for you after, in case you you don't like this. Go ahead, go go. Let's count down. Three, two, one. Look at her. She's so afraid. Oh, I love it. Oh, oh, is she gonna be sick here? If you. Oh well, you can do whatever you want with it. You can suck it. You can chew it. Here's a mint. Oh, look at her cute little face. Oh, I'm sorry. Here, take a book. Forget your problems. Okay, wait. I have one more question for you, if you can answer. Was knowing about the seaweed... Look at her. Oh, I feel so bad. Was knowing about the seaweed the same as tasting the seaweed? I didn't have an interest in it. Just say, just say no. Okay, no. No. Okay, good. Thank you. Let's give her a hand. Thank you, Lana. Thank you. That was so, like, I was going to say that was so brave, but she didn't know I was going to make her eat it. So there's that. But I hope you enjoy the book. Um, <laughs> she's like, the seaweed and the book are a disaster. Okay. So, <laughs> so again, Jonathan Edwards, he, he has this great, the, the old, I think he's in 18th century, right? The old theologian Jonathan Edwards does this analogy with honey. But everybody's had honey. Lana, that would have been no fun. We had to do seaweed. So, right? So we can know about honey. We can know that it's sticky. We can know that it's sweet. We can know that bees make it. We can know all these things. But until we taste honey, it's different, right? And so one of the ways I think that we believe deeper is to look like the woman at the well. We need to examine, we need to think about, we need to know what we know. Do we know about Jesus or do we know Jesus? Have we tasted and, and seen his goodness? Have we 
Have we wept just at the thought of the beauty of having a relationship with him? Or do we just know a lot of things about him? So how do we do this? How do we know what we know? How do we, you know, move from a place of, um, you know, if we have these, like, theoretical abstractions, what do we do about this? How do we believe deeper? I think one of the ways that we assess how we know what we know, because, again, most of this goes on under the waterline of our own awareness, is to evaluate um, everyday emotions, evaluate everyday emotions. We need to look at patterns of jealousy, patterns of defensiveness. How many of you and your husband just looks at you funny? You're like, what? <sighs> Anybody? <laughs> yeah, okay. Like patterns of anger, patterns of um, being stressed out all the time. To start taking, looking at and asking the Lord about your everyday emotions. Because again, we can compartmentalize what we know about Jesus and we can miss knowing him in our actual lives. And so evaluating, examining um, our everyday emotions is a way to start to see that disconnect. Um, how else can we believe deeper? I think um, another thing that we can learn from this passage um, is to increase imagination, increase imagination. One of the things that happens when we start to realize that our core and our abstract beliefs are different is it, it can be kind of upsetting. If you notice that this woman, she gets a little defensive. She's like, oh, well, why don't you show me where the water is? Hmm? <laughs> She's a little, hmm, right? And she gets a little like snarky at Jesus and she changes the, sub she, she kind of changes the subject, doesn't she? When he talks about her five husbands, like we start to take a lot of these things and turn them to guilt and shame onto ourselves. So when we start to expose these, when we evaluate everyday emotions, sometimes that can become, um, it, it can become shame filled. So I told the story last week, um, this is, this is in my book, Walking by the Homeless. But um, so when I first started realizing about this difference between core and abstract beliefs, because I, I knew nothing of this, I was like, I just believe what I believe. Um, so I started this discipleship class and I started to learn the difference between these two things. And one of the reasons I took this horrible discipleship class was because, because everyone, so a couple of my mentors, these like she Moses people in my life who just walk ahead and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so holy. I want to be like them. They took this discipleship class and they were like, it was life-changing. And I'm like, oh, good heavens. Life-changing? They're like, life-changing. But then they also talked about how they cried in it all the time. And I was like, you know what? I cry enough on a daily basis just like for no reason. So I don't really feel like stepping into this class and crying more. And so I, I fought it and fought it and fought it for six months. But then six months later, I decided to take this, um, to kind of do this, like learn how to believe deeper. And, and start to evaluate everyday emotions. And one of the reasons I did that was because I started to get so tired of um, people pleasing. I just had, I had, wow, you guys sound like a bunch of holy cows. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> okay. I had no imagination for what it would like, be like to not care what people thought about me. I didn't even, I don't even have to know you and you look at me funny. I'd be like, why don't, why don't you like me? <laughs> like, I, just, I just struggled with this. And so 
I decided to take this discipleship class, and one, one of the early days into this class, I remember sitting at the Jiffy Lube, I was taking my son's car in for an emissions test, and so I was waiting for them to open the bay because I'm an efficiency person, so I was there early, so right at eight o'clock, I just go in. And so I'm sitting there waiting, and all of a sudden I got this Holy Spirit-inspired thought, and the Holy Spirit-inspired thought was this. My son's car looked like a bomb had gone off of it, inside of it. There was food everywhere, coffee cups, and several outfits that didn't smell particularly nice. <laughs> and, and, I rem- and I got the spirit-inspired thought that I was not gonna tell the little Jiffy Lube mechanic that this was not my car. <laughs> Even though I was like gonna roll the window down, flies were gonna come, all that. I was, not, I was like, no, that's right. I'm not, I'm not, I don't need to tell this little 16-year-old boy this is not my car, who cares what he thinks? So, Bay opens up, I pull in, roll down the window, I'm like, good morning. He's like, good morning, ma'am. This isn't my car. This is my son's car. Like, <laughs> literally the second thing out of my mouth. Like, so don't judge me, okay? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in middle school still. I had no imagination for what it was like even though, again, I, tell, I would tell you, I, I've told my daughters, and I, I believe it for you, and I believe it for my daughters, and I believe it for my best friend, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you're God's masterpiece, like wear the t-shirt, <laughs> that you're loved, that you're chosen, chosen, that you're holy, and that you're all those things, but I could not go through the Jiffy Lube Bay <laughs> without caring what this guy thought about me, and he probably didn't think anything of me. I was a weirdo. (laughs) What have you lost imagination for? What is it that you, what I love about this passage is that Jesus starts to expand this woman's imagination because what he does is um, he, he starts to show her the more that he has. Mark Buchanan has a great quote in his book, The Rest of God, and it says, change begins with fresh eyes. In other words, it begins with an awakened imagination. You turn away stubbornly and without apology from that which, inf- which formerly entranced you, and you turn towards that which you once avoided. You start to see what God sees, and as God sees it. And what's really cool about what God saw, what Jesus saw in this woman, was for the first time he didn't see um, her racial and religious and these cultural, cultural norms that divided them. Because we know that um, when a woman went to the well to get water, she didn't go when it was super hot out. Why would she do that? Especially if she's in menopause. <laughs> hot all the time. Um, you don't go then. You go in the, in the early part of the day, the cool of the day, the cool of the night. You don't go in the sixth hour when it's blazing hot out. Why was this woman there? Well, we'll find that out in a little bit. But Jesus doesn't see these things, does he? He, he wanted her to see the more he had for her. He wanted her to see in verse 10 that he gives her this invitation of the gift of God that she could know. And in verse 14, he speaks of water that satisfies and wells up to eternal life. 
And then in verse 21 through 23, he increases her imagination by talking about abolishing all these rules and regulations, right? About what does worship look like and who's going to be there, right? He, he just blows that out of the water. And then in verse 26, he reveals his identity as the Messiah. How do we start to get to a place where we have a wider lens for what God has for us? Because I don't know about you, but I'm like, just here. Like, I have things in my life, people in my family that I'm praying for, and I believe, but I really need help overcoming my unbelief. I mean, I, I have a family, a family member who um, is not walking with the Lord. And, and I just was sitting at my table the other day with my Bible open, and I was like, Lord, I was just crying, and I was like, Lord, I trust you, but I don't trust your time frame. <laughs> Like, I, I, don't, I don't want my children to have to wait till they're 48, till they start to kind of get some of this. I don't, I don't want them to make la- major life decisions in, this, in where they're at. And so how, how do we do this? How do we start to step into the increased imagination that Jesus has for us? Because he's always offering us more. This whole passage, he's just saying to the lady, here, I have more, I have more, I have more, I have more for you. I have more for you. What does she have to do? Nothing, but he's got more and more and more and more. So how do we do that? How do we step into that? I think we need to ask God about our ADD. Ask God about our ADD. What I mean by that is we're so distracted. We don't actually pray. We just think about things. (laughs) And we try to solve them. And we are manipulating, how can I have this conversation? And maybe, maybe if I say this, that'll happen. Like, If you're like me, that's what you do. And the same is true in my prayer life. Like I get on the treadmill, I can literally be on the treadmill, here's the wall. I don't have earbuds in, I'm literally like a hamster on a wheel. And I'm like, dear Lord, thank you for this day. And thank you for, why is that windowsill so dusty? When am I gonna dust that? Because later I have to go upstairs and I have to, and I'm gone. <laughs> like, and he's up there going, well, that was short. <laughs> but here's the thing. What my mind ultimately usually gravitates towards is not really the dirty window, so it gravitates towards what I'm really worried about. It gravitates toward my daughter who's coming home next weekend and driving around the curve of death. It gravitates towards that, that argument I had with my husband yesterday and if we're okay. It gravitates, right? And I think one of the ways we need to start to increase, allow Jesus to increase our imagination is just start praying honest prayers about what really distracts us. He already knows anyway. Some of us who have been um, in church a long time. How, how many of you, again, have been here before and just were like, okay, awesome, the weird Jesus people. And how many of you were invited here by a weird Jesus person? Yes, yes. So <laughs> that, was, that was funny. Last weekend, um, people were like, she's our weird Jesus friend. She drove the van. <laughs> so it morphed into this whole, who's the van driver? Um, But you, you people who have been in church a long time, you've heard all the acronyms. Oh, it's pray, pray, request, ask, yield. Oh, it's this. And so you sit down to pray and you have this like, or if you're just a structure person, you have these like, hello. You have these like regimented ways, right, of praying. And yet again, I, I think 
the Lord knows our heart. And we need to start when we go off and we veer off and we have ADD, ask the Lord about that. How else can we step into believing deeper? Besides knowing what you know, and besides allowing Jesus to increase your imagination, um, lastly, I think we need to accept his acceptance. Accept his acceptance. How do we know that Jesus accepts this woman? Again, she's there in the hot, hot part of the day. And she's there in the hot, hot, hot part of the day because that's when women who um, had five husbands and the one they were living with now, that's when they went to get water because no one else was there. And when Jesus offers her living water, she's like, oh yeah, give me some of this so I don't have to come up here and avoid those people and all their looks. You know how we ladies can be. (laughs) They're judgmental glances, right? And so she's like, yeah, give me that, I want that. Because she's there the hottest part of the day because she's been ostracized. Samaritans actually had as strict, if not more strict rules about how they viewed divorce. So this woman was ostracized from her community. Um, And yet what I love about this is think about when Jesus offers her living water. He knows everything about this woman. And he offers her living water and he increases her imagination and he steps towards her in relationship knowing that she has had five husbands and the one she's living with now is not her husband. I was reading a a commentary um, about this and what what the man said was, intrigued by Jesus' offer of living water, The woman asks to have some, not realizing that if you want to take Jesus up on his offer of pure running water bubbling up inside you, he says, you will have to get rid of the stale, moldy, stagnant water you've been living off of all this time. Where does he see that in this passage? I don't see that. I see an offer of living water, and then he goes, also... I already know about what's going on. I don't see him go, I know what's going on, so you need to run home and you need to take some classes on how to be a better wife and you need to say you're sorry to all those five men and you need to, you need to, you need to, and then I have more for you. No, he goes, I have more for you. Also, I know everything about you. I learned this graphic and it's, it's, this is not rocket science, but this has been so helpful to me in starting to understand how to accept his acceptance. And, and how one of the reasons why I've been missing some of these core versus abstract beliefs. So um, it's a simple graphic. It's the Father's on top, right? God the Father is on, on the top of our lives and the top of um, our relationship. And then out of that, he has sent Jesus, right? The cross of Christ. Through the cross of Christ... Jesus has declared those of us who believe in him, who love him, who who know that he is our Lord and Savior. This is God's settled disposition to us is what scripture says, that we're holy, that we're chosen, that we're loved, that we're precious in his sight, that we're equipped, that we're saints. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, that's what God has declared you and you and me. 
And then out of that, we get our identity. Out of God's subtle disposition to us, we, that's who we are. That's our identity. And the more we submit and surrender to who God says we are, as it says in his word, that's, so I disciple a lot of college-age women and a couple of high school women, and they're like, well, who, how do, who does God say I am? <laughs> it's in his word. Um, out of that, we, as we submit and surrender to that, we, out of an overflowing of receiving that love, we step into obedience, right? So easy. You're like, thank you, Laura. You are so smart. <laughs> but what happens oftentimes is we know this triangle up here, but what we actually do in our, in our core, in our actual life, is we go down the wrong side of the triangle. So instead of we start with the Father on top and we go down to obeying and doing, taking lots of Bible study classes, reading our Bible, being a good Christian, not swearing, not watching that R-rated movie, right? And, and out of the things that we do, that starts to determine, under the waterline of often our awareness, that starts to determine our identity. It's not, and we totally bypass the cross altogether. Rather than this is who God says I am, even though I threatened to sell my children again yesterday, who God says I am is that I'm holy and I'm loved and I'm a saint. That's who God says I am. But instead, we oftentimes go down the wrong side of the triangle and go, oh, I'm a, I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible wife. I'm a terrible this. I'm a terrible that. And we're getting our identity out of what we're doing and how we're obeying. See the difference? It's subtle. And again, how do we know this is true? Right? This, it's belief. This triangle is based on Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It goes on and on, right? Did you say I had till 11.30? 12, okay. All I know is last Friday, it was all about the caramel apples. <laughs> like, whether I was done or not, if the caramel apples were done, they were leaving. <laughs> what time are the caramel apples done, Hannah? Oh, oh I'm so behind. Okay, I gotta hurry up. Okay, um... Oh, goodness. So, where am I? How do we do this? How do we accept his acceptance? One of the best ways I think we can do this, and again, identify the difference between um, core and abstract, and if we're going down the wrong side of the triangle, is to hear your head when you're a hot mess. Hear your, like the alliteration, hear your head when you're a hot mess. What is God's posture to you when you are swearing in the closet, getting ready for church? Not that that's a personal experience story. What, is, what does he look like to you? What is Jesus, how is he looking at you when you're talking to your husband like he is the family dog again? Again, right? When you're gossiping about that coworker, what's the Lord's disposition to you? Oh, someone had a guttural reaction over there. 
in those moments when we're a hot mess, unless we are hearing God's love and labels for us, unless we're looking at the cross, realizing that, you know, because of the cross, wait, I'm chosen, that God delights in me, that he rejoices over me with singing. Unless we're hearing that, we have some more room to believe deeper. God in his love goes, I, sweetheart, I have more for you. Like, I didn't die on that cross. You could be like, I'm terrible again and I hate myself, right? But that's what we do. That's our default is to beat ourselves up. So some of you may be saying, that's lovely. I'm gonna hear my head when I'm a hot mess. But, but what if I just keep being this way? What if I just keep yelling at my children until they leave the house? <laughs> what if I never change? What if I can't treat my husband? With, what if, what? we're gonna talk about that tomorrow. So you have to come back. Even poor Lana who ate the seaweed, you have to come back now. So you gotta find out about this. Um, so when my, when my youngest daughter, Faith, was about, I don't know, little-ish, but not too little, um, she was, we were getting ready to go, and I was meeting this lady who is a, this Christian, she runs this Christian ministry in Milwaukee, and everybody knows her, and she's really amazing, and so I, because I love Jesus so much, wanted to look really good for her, <laughs> really good, and so I was like making sure that my hair looked nice, making sure that my earrings matched my shoes, and blah, 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 and I ended up being late which is another of my spiritual gifts, <laughs> lateness. And so those of you who have the spiritual gift of lateness, um, you come out and what you do is you look for the nearest person to blame, even though they have nothing to do with the fact that you've been late for 52 years of your life. So, um, so I walked out and Faith was the only one home because the other kids were in high school. And I was like, why aren't you ready? What? Do you have your lunch packed? Because we need to go. I told you to pack your lunch last night. You're going to be living in my basement, aren't you, someday? Okay, get your stuff together. Put that in your backpack. Get in the car, blah, blah, blah. And I remember just looking at her. And, you know, when our crazy flip goes, they know to just not fight back. And I remember she just looked down and went, okay. And we got in the car, and I was taking her to school. And then I was heading to where else? church to go to Bible study. And I dropped her off and I was like, and by that time I had calmed down. I was like, all right, goodbye, Faith. I love you. In case you forgot because of all the craziness. And I dropped her off and from where I dropped her off to church, I cried the entire way to church. Because at that time, my oldest daughter was almost 18. My son was 16. And I just thought, when am I ever gonna not look like this? When am I ever not gonna be angry? When am I ever not gonna be so vain? Like, when am I ever gonna not be a disappointment in myself? And I remember getting into church and being with a bunch of lovely ladies like you, and I remember sitting there going, I bet she didn't yell at her kid because she was late getting ready today. I bet she didn't accuse her child of being lazy and dumb. I bet she... And we were singing some song about Jesus. <laughs> and I remember the Spirit just prompting me and going, which is it, Laura? You're singing a song about the cross that talks about my forgiveness, my finished work at the cross yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Or, or is, so is that 
the truth? Is that what you believe? Or do you actually believe that now you did it, you messed up one too many times? But we, we go there, don't we? We go down the wrong side of the trial and go, we go, I'm a hot mess. I'm not a good Christian. You're a good Christian. I'm a poser. I'm standing in Bible studies singing worship songs and I just, right? And we need to be able to start to move to the place like this woman did where we start to believe deeper. And what's so cool about this story is not only so, the woman does two amazing things. So first thing she does is she leaves her valuable possession of these water jars, she just leaves them. She just runs down to the city. And that's the other cool thing. She runs down to the people who she doesn't like and they don't like her. (laughs) And I'm thinking probably, because it wasn't a real transient society then, that probably all five of her husbands and her shack up guy are there too. And what she says in verse 39 is her testimony. And her testimony is this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, which was, he told me everything I ever did. Why is that significant? Why is that her testimony? Why did so many people come to faith because Jesus told this woman everything she ever did? Despite, I think it's significant because despite her sinfulness, despite her rejection from others, despite her checkered past and present, that's the thing. Like we can, in our heads, we're like, oh, Jesus forgave me for when I was a nightmare. But it's the stuff now that you can't stop doing, that's what we struggle with. But Jesus goes into all of her And he, and he enters into conversation with her and he enters into relationship with her and he offers her the gift of God and eternal life. And he helped her know and believe deeper that Jesus was Messiah the Christ. And that, that allowed her, it expanded her imagination and it allowed her to believe deeper without her doing anything, and yet ironically, it changed everything. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for, um, for your word. I thank you for this story. I mean, no matter how many times I've heard this sermon preached or taught on it, like, it's just amazing the width and the breadth and the height and the depth of your love, God, that you know everything about us, yet you fully love us and you fully accept us and and you took the weight of our punishment, God, so that we can go down the right side of the triangle so that we can know it doesn't really matter what we do, what we say, what we whatever. What really matters is that you have declared us precious. You have declared us righteous You have declared us all of these things. And Lord, help us to get that because it's only when we start to get that that our testimony becomes like this woman. And out of an overflowing of your acceptance to us, we can love people, people who have hated us, people who have betrayed us, people who have hurt us. And so we just thank you for the opportunity tonight to believe deeper. And I just pray you just show us one thing about yourself 
that we can just chew on for tonight until tomorrow, God. And we just thank you for your generosity in our lives. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I think it's apple time. <laughs>